0: Binge List and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV and streaming with your hosts, Shannon Holiday and Letitia Thomas.
1: How are we doing today, Tish?
0: I am good. I sound a bit sick, so oh, no. sorry don't at inf- home.
1: Don't infect me across the table, please. Well,
0: you invited me here. I
1: did. Yep. We've got to get this done. We so have to. We People can't do this in separate places. We've got to do it here. Um, how What have we been watching this uh, week, Tish?
0: Nothing too different. Um, watching Yellow Jacket and Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. still Absolutely loving yellow jackets, Ted Lasso. It's lost the magic this season. And yeah, you're I'm, not loving
1: it. I'm I've not, picked up on I'm like this. really the way hoping you've been speaking about it. Like
0: the moments are good, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't flow together to like an overall thing. Yeah. Um I'm hoping it picks up in the last couple episodes and they like manage to piece it all together. But then I read somewhere that like they reshot stuff. I yeah. don't know how true that is. Maybe they
1: try to test it audience with the finale maybe in
0: I don't know, didn't like work. I, don't know if they lost stuff or like what the goal is, but it just doesn't seem as coherent. And I don't know why, because the car, like the cast and crew, are still the same. So it's not. And I trust that they are, yeah, professionals and like they're brilliant in what they do. So I don't know.
1: A lot of shows do struggle with how to finish, finish up. Yeah, basically. and like
0: they knew that they wanted three seasons. I think maybe they just had like logistical stuff that changed it. Because I don't think that they're any less talented, but. Yeah, that's been that. Watched a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about
1: yes. in this you week's episode. Week. So week. I
0: don't want to talk too much about it without yeah. getting into it. I've been reading a little bit. Yeah, you said um, that. very okay. into memoirs. So I've been reading, um, oh, what am I reading? 10 Steps to Nanette, um, which is like Hannah Gadsby's book yeah, yeah, based yeah. on the comedy specials they did for Netflix okay. um, that sort of broke comedy. It's not... It's not a fun read, and it's not meant to be. Is
1: it kind of like factual, dry, but it's it's good.
0: I mean, they're funny, so it is funny, yeah. but it overall it's like their whole thing was they're quitting comedy because yeah. comedy is not there to help them in their lives. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, it, they've had a really rough life, so it kind yeah. of goes into that. So it's not it's funny in moments, but it's overall not fun. Okay. Yeah, that's what I've been up to this week. Yeah. What have you been up to?
1: What I've been watching. Um, I watched uh, a movie called Beast. Mm-hmm. Came out in 2022. Came out last year. It didn't have a huge cinematic release at the cinemas. I didn't really see too much of the marketing for it. Um, it stars Idris Elba. Um, the plot mainly revolves around, you know, a father taking his two de- teenage daughters to you know, South Africa on a, like a wildlife reserve kind of tour where their late mother used to live. Uh, when she was a child and when they're out on the the wildlife reserve in the truck they get um they get stalked by a rogue man killing lion cool yeah it was um honestly it was missing something it was like one of those textbook movies where it's like jaws where it's like you know this sinister animal coming to basically get the the lead and uh, the CGI was It was a bit choppy. It wasn't amazing. It was very obvious in certain scenes where the lion was trying to attack a a human and it just wasn't meshing well together. I mean, I really like Idris Elba. I love him in most of his other stuff he's done. He was great in the MCU. I liked him in Dark Tower, even though that movie wasn't great. Uh, The Luther series for BBC. So I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. I'll have a look. Yeah, it just, I don't know if he, it was a paycheck for him because it felt a little bit phoned in, to be honest, for him as well. It wasn't the best performance. Yeah, I would not go out of my way to suggest that one to people. It's pretty quick, though. It's 93 minutes, but it's it's pretty bare bones in story. It's a lion who's trying to attack them, and they just got to try and get away.
0: Do you think that's why it didn't get a big theatrical release? Because they just went, oh, it's just not going to be one of those films.
1: I don't know. It was a weird one. I didn't hear about it before it was getting made. I saw it popped into cinemas very quickly, and then all of a sudden it was out on Blu-ray recently, and now it's on streaming. I mean, I saw it on binge. So it's already on streaming services, so I think they knew it didn't do well. And uh, they're just trying to capitalize on the streaming market now with it.
0: Oh, well, sometimes work is just work, hey.
1: Yeah. I feel like he's probably like, if I agree to do something I want to do, I'll do your beast movie kind of situation, yeah. which is probably what's happened. But I uh, watched that. I also watched um, Mission Impossible Fallout, which is the sixth installment in the Mission Impossible series starring Tom Cruise. This one came out in 2018. So it's been a hot minute since a uh, Mission Impossible movie came out. So the next one's coming out this year, which is why I kind of went, oh, yeah, I've missed one. I haven't watched six yet i watched all the other five so far, and uh, I love them. They're so good.
0: I have not watched one of them. Oh,
1: my God. i um,
0: not a big fan of Tom Cruise.
1: Look, neither really am I. But, but apparently
0: he's still good to work with. But Yeah. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. I don't know.
1: Well, he kind of, you know, everyone's saying he saved Hollywood with uh, Top Gun Maverick.
0: Yeah. I mean, he loves doing his own stunts, so my cousin loved working with him. It was really
1: great to watch in this film particularly. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, he's nuts. He's insane. Like, there's a part in this film where he's riding a bike through Paris. He gets hit with a car, and I'm pretty sure he did actually that. He broke his ankle on set in this film. They had to um, cut production for seven weeks while he recovered because he jumped out of a window at one particular scene, and he literally broke his ankle for that filming of that scene.
0: Is his body, like, promised to Elron Hubbard? Like, is he happy to die <laughs> during his, like, That's movies? how he gets
1: to the next level. Yeah,
0: like, like, like no other actor I don't cares know. to do it. Because I go, there's stunties for this. We need this. This yeah, is Yeah, there's people thing. that look like
1: Tom Cruise. They can jump out of a window also, and you can get the shot. They're it's like, fine, but.
0: I want my body to yeah. not perish. But he's like, oh, it's fine in the name of Scientology. And I'll do it. And then Shops that way, I don't know. It's
1: crazy. He's, like, really into, like, his motorsport as well as, like, he's got all his helicopter license, boat license. He like, obviously flying license with Maverick. He 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 knows it all. It's he's insane.
0: crazy. And, like, I heard through someone who'd worked in Hollywood and knew of him, but mm. maybe this isn't 100% true, so don't, like, don't crucify me. But in his contract, it's always, like, he has to so save, save the, the world. world. Yep. And then he has that, like, I need my close up, which is why on Edge of Tomorrow, like, everyone else is wearing helmets and this stuff. His and there's his one scene out. where he, like, Th- gets rid of the helmet just yeah. so he gets his little like close, close up, up of his face. That and I'm
1: like, definitely happened in this film as well.
0: What a wanker! Look, like, good for you. Say Tom what you Cruise. say about Tom
1: Cruise, but this but movie knew exactly what it was. It was entertainment for two and a half hours. Uh, that's the only criticism I'll have for this film: is it runs a little bit long for an action film. Like it's literally just a popcorn flick. You sit down, you don't have to think too hard. The action's on, like, on the screen.
0: Like two and a half hours, Tom Cruise save the world faster.
1: Save the world faster. Just they we could cut it down can. by about. Probably about thirty minutes. Honestly, it would have been probably roughly the same film, and it would have been just as good. Yeah, well, that's what I've been watching this week. I watched something else as well. Yeah, uh, but that's going to be spoken about later on in the episode in regards to our deep dive yeah. uh, of the topic. So, so I'll we'll, mention that later. Um, but we're going to be doing we're going to be doing a little bit of trivia again because that went really that was, well last time, and we a had a lot of fun. of fun with it. I'll go first. Okay. Let me find my first question. So I I. I picked ones that were like a little bit hard, but a little bit like, oh, you could probably have a story out of that as well. Oh, maybe good God. So All right, let's not go. as bad as the one last week. No. Um, okay, my first one is Michael Myers's mask in Halloween. Is which actor's face?
0: Oh, I feel like I knew this, mm. and I honestly can't. I don't know.
1: It's William Shatner.
0: There it is. Yeah, yeah. it's one of those ones. Someone says that, and I go, like, oh yeah. Yeah. I really need to get back into when horror they were filming as a genre. It,
1: they Went to the wardrobe department. Nothing kind of worked on screen, so I think they were literally like shopping around for something that worked. And they were in a, like a one of those hobby stores, and mm-hmm. they found William Shatner's face as a mask from probably Star Trek at the yeah, time. Yeah, would have been. And they were like, "Yep, grab that." I'm pretty sure they painted it more white to be you know more menacing. Yeah, but yeah, it's William Shatner's face so in good. all the Halloween films, so I think that's fantastic.
0: So I don't know if you know this one because I yeah, it was big for me growing up, but I don't know if it was big. Because you're a bit older than me. Yeah. Um, how many fingers do they hold up as a type of salute in the Hunger Games movies?
1: It is three. It is three. Yeah. yeah. I would say, although I was older, I was a huge fanboy of uh, the Hunger Games really? series. I went to all of them in the cinema. We I think I went to one of the, I think it was the last one, went to a midnight screening with my friend Andrew. Andrew calling you out because i know you listen we both went i dragged you along because you definitely did not want to come with me um and i remember waiting in the foyer and it was just all these like teenage girls just waiting at midnight i'm like yeah hell yeah i'm here waiting too it's gonna be fantastic
0: i can't wait to do an episode on the hunger games with you now that i know that you love it oh i've i've read them all That's as well amazing there's a new one coming out a prequel yeah, series with I the president read snow the character book, as um but i was might younger. go and read it yeah before i see the film
1: yes i definitely know that one The katniss everdeen yeah. yeah. So the next, I'll I'll do the next one for you. Um, all right. In Mean Girls, Katie moves to Illinois from which continent?
0: She lived in Africa, but she's white. <laughs> why is she? Yeah. White? Why is she white? Why
1: is she white? <laughs> uh, I thought you'd like that one. That's
0: fun. I yeah. got Mean Girls in grade seven. Yeah. Um. For about two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was Katie Heron and then and then I think I just grew up to be Janice. Which everyone could everyone be worse. turns
1: into Janice later. <laughs> Oh my God, Danny DeVito, I love your work.
0: That's not, that's not Janice. I that's know, David. I know who it is. <laughs>
1: All right, shoot me number two. Okay,
0: this one you should know. Um, in Emily in Paris, which American city <laughs> is Emily from? Chicago. Yeah, he got it.
1: Correct, because I absolutely love that series as well. He does. That's I have that, not seen it. That's my guilty pleasure. Yeah. Only I, because of one particular person in it.
0: It's, yeah, you,
1: it's Lily Collins. Can
0: we guess? Yeah.
1: She can do no wrong in my eyes. That's sweet. <laughs> I've watched all her films. <laughs> even the Mortal Instruments.
0: <laughs> I haven't even seen the Mortal Instruments. It was and I was shocking. a teenager and they're like <laughs> I watched
1: t- it like recently, like a year or two ago, because I was going through all her filmography and I was like, Mortal Instruments, I've never heard of this. What is it? And it's, it's just like it's 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 hot trash. It's based on a book series, yeah. but it didn't become popular. They tried to do a TV series for Netflix later. Yeah. But the one that she's in is it's they're not good. It's god-awful. And yeah, so I've seen all her filmography based on that, which is why I've been watching Emily in Paris as well. <laughs> all right.
0: You just dig yourself a grave. Like, I'm like, we'll move on. But you're like, no, I want to tell the audience. No, I
1: want to – they need to know, you know. They need to know How more deep about it's me. gone. It's, it's pretty bad. Okay, my third question for you in particular. Mm. In Shrek, what does Shrek compare ogres to?
0: They're onions. They have layers. And then Donkey goes, what about cake? He goes, ogres are not like cake. Shrek <laughs> is one of my favorite films Fantastic. that I don't talk about enough.
1: Donkeys wear on sleeves. Um,
0: I watched it when I was really little because it came out in like 2001. Yeah, but we I think we had, think that, we yeah. had a like hey VHS re- Yeah, But it was like recorded off the TV or uh, something. What, yeah. um, and I remember when me and my sister used to watch it because we were only about I think like four when yeah. it first came out. We were scared of the dragon. Like not the uh, whole time. Yeah. But only at the end when she starts chasing them and it gets a bit intense so whichever one of us like that scene was
1: done well i'll agree with that. whichever
0: one of us chickened out first and like looked away mm-hmm. it would be like tell me when i can look and then the other one just had to grow some balls and just like <laughs> stick it out so that was yeah. that's was, me that's with me
1: horror trick. nowadays i've got to look away how or I've are you have finding
0: f- hill house actually just yeah so i started
1: watching hill house with my housemate and we've watched the first episode so far and i'm handling the horror okay it's actually really interesting i'm finding it quite intriguing enough to keep watching it we just haven't obviously settled on watching the rest of it yet yeah, okay. Um, but I do have my phone in my hand at all times in case, you know, I need to start scrolling to distract myself from any creepy parts. Okay. But I'm still I'm still in it. I'm
0: If you enjoy it the first time being scared, and you can handle like go back and then rewatch it properly if yeah. you actually love it because it's very it, well done, but the first time is kind of scary. Okay. okay. We're going to go into one that sort of segues into our topic this week, which yeah. I randomly found. But do you know mm-hmm. which Wes Anderson movie hasn't been inspired by Akira Kurosawa's movies? I think I butchered that because I can't breathe.
1: I know who you mean because mm-hmm. I read about it when we were talking about our yeah. main topic of the week. Um, that's a good question, actually. I think knowing full well what most of them were from reading it, I've got to have a guess, though, because there's quite a few films. Is it Bottle Rocket? No. It's not it's, Bottle Rocket.
0: Okay. Shannon needs to do his world movie history. Um, Akira Kurosawa is Japanese. so no, I know. So of you- Dogs.
1: You say isn't. Oh, I thought no, you said no, no, isn't. Said is. okay. Well, I well, butchered that as well. Shannon definitely. No, obviously knows it's Isle of Dogs. I was so confused. Yeah. Like, how are
0: you missing this? No, I thought you meant
1: isn't. I'm like, well, Bottle no, Rocket no, no. wouldn't really. No, no that makes sense. You've got it. So it's, it's absolutely Isle of Dogs. I watched that one this sorry, week. Sorry, everyone.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: <laughs> I can't listen or read. Uh, okay, so this week we've done a little bit of news, but it's more of a deep dive into one particular topic mm-hmm. this week because it's definitely front and center um, at the moment, it is the Writers' Strike of 2023.
0: Mm -hmm. So basically in Hollywood, they're not paying their writers, their screenwriters in the same way as they were. So the WGA, so the Writers' Guild of America, um, is the joint efforts of two unions on like one's LA, one's New York, and they've come together um, and they basically just want to get their writers' To be paid. So basically, mm. streaming's affecting the way writers are now paid in Hollywood. Yeah. Um. So they want a base pay rise because they're getting paid not a living wage. Um. Yeah. And they want a new agreement for royalties and residuals. Yeah. Um. Because back in the day, they'd it's, get sort of... Every yeah. time you replayed, say, like an episode of Seinfeld, On like whoever wrote yeah. it... Would get a little bit of money, not a lot, usually yep. a couple of cents, but that same adds up. Same as like
1: st- streaming on Spotify or something with one, yeah. like, you know, a couple of cents per song per um, listen. It's the same when it was shown on reruns on TV again.
0: But what's happening now is the studios are paying writers on a base rate regardless of the success. So you could watch Stranger Things about a million times, but the duffers aren't getting paid for the million times you're writing yep. it. They just get paid a base rate. Um, That's because to-
1: they don't show it like a syndication like Mm -hmm. they used to because it's a streaming service it's basically a base rate anyone can watch it at any time and it's very different to how the original award wage was set up back when they striked back in 2008 that's when they had the strike Mm -hmm. they wanted to have a minimum base minimum based on that and and that was during the time when tv was you know still really much on free-to-air cable and all that so they would get that residuals Mm -hmm. At a certain level, and now because basically no one watches free to air or cable, it's all streaming services. Um, it's it's changed the way that they're paid.
0: And the mm. thing is, as well, when they for like when streaming got big through Netflix, like no one knew mm. that it was going to be a big thing. Like when no they announced like Orange is New Black, which I count as like their first big one because House of Cards, no one really had money on until the very end when it started winning Emmys, and they're like, hang on, this internet show is winning Emmys, but. Like, everyone was like, oh, we're just on this little online show and yeah. no one might watch it and who cares. So they didn't have that, like, understanding of where it was going to go when they were building stuff, which is fine, but, you know, pay your writers because they're also wanting to cut corners with AI now uh, and Chatbot
1: bring up as well. and
0: getting them, they're you know, to, AI to write stuff, which... Yeah.
1: They're trying to put a thing in where they're restricting AI to write content um, if the writer's unavailable or stuff because AI is becoming you know, better and better as years go on, but they also want to put something in place in case it does develop in a way in the next 15, 20 years um, so that it doesn't take over jobs, Which is super
0: fun because um, I got a f- film degree and then I specialised in writing, which I didn't want to do when I started my film degree. So, you know. yeah. I How made, do you feel about this I made some, all, some great choices. It? Yeah, it's yeah. like there's no industry and way in here. Like, I mean, there is, don't, I'm not saying it like this. In it's Australia, not quite, yeah. Very hard here just in the way that it's built but then you go oh hollywood there's more jobs in hollywood which there are Mm. and then you look at what's happening in hollywood at the moment and it's it's a struggle it's just it's a struggle it's the same like just dumb fight over there where they just don't want to pay people yeah and their writers always never get paid which is
1: they're doing things like mini rooms Mm -hmm. now at the moment um which is kind of like getting less and less writers into a room basically to punch out all this stuff and then they kind of like pay them based on like what's called like a gig basically mm-hmm. and then they pay them like a sum and then they're done. And,
0: and then they're trying to cut down the time in which they're spending to write these things as well, which sucks because writing is hard. And, um, and it
1: affects the work You need well. a lot of
0: time to procrastinate. Yeah. Because no one – Writer's
1: block is a thing.
0: And just you don't want to start. It's the, yeah. like, oh, I love having written. It's the, having written something is the best feeling in the world. Writing is the most torturous thing <laughs> you could ever make me do. Yeah. And it's this, it's this weird dichotomy with it. There's also talks of they were like, okay, cool. If everyone's striking in America, we'll just hire some like mm. outside writers. Um, but the AWG, so that's the Australian Writers Guild, mm. the Canadian equivalent and the UK equivalent yep. have all been told to put the pens down on any of the productions that have to do with America in and Hollywood. Because yeah. um, they're like, hey, no, we're in solidarity with this. This is not the time to start getting a foot in the door, which no. makes sense. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah and it's really affecting current productions as well so they're obviously striking at the moment the last strike in 2008 went for like a certain like 100 100 days, 100 days. Yeah. um so a lot of things are being affected the late night talk shows are already kind of mm-hmm. off the air at the moment, because they're, you know, week to week, the Saturday Night Live stuff is week to week Yeah. Um, as they come up with it, because they relate to things that are happening in real time. Yeah.
0: If you've ever looked into how it works at SNL, it oh, that is, is insane. an intense amount of work. Yeah.
1: A lot of the comedians obviously come out and have spoken about their experiences and they, they're like, it's just, it's crazy. It's a yeah. whirlwind uh, of experience. You
0: should read Amy Poehler's memoir, yeah. book, whatever you want to call it, autobiography, um, Yes, please. I read it when I was, like, 18. It's brilliant.
1: Mm. Yeah. And it kind of goes into that SNL. It goes into a lot of her starting that out. And yep.
0: then she did improv classes. I can't remember what they're called right now. But, yeah, it's a really interesting book. Should, it's fun to read, yeah. too. Yeah, okay. it's Amy.
1: Um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this, uh, how long it goes for, what kind of productions are going to be delayed because of it. Because I know that things like um, – uh, Stranger Things and Yellow Jackets are basically on hold at the moment mm-hmm. because the writers were coming up with things like the next seasons for that, but they obviously can't write at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things like The Rings of Power season two, they're in the middle of production of that one in particular, but the showrunners themselves have been told to come off set and the show's just gonna continue in production. So that's mm-hmm. gonna really affect the outcome of the story because they can't do rewrites and, and you know, change scenes based on like certain things. So it's gonna be a very different vessel to what they probably want. So it's, yeah. It's really interesting
0: it. as well, because I was doing a bit of research into it because obviously I was quite young in two thousand and seven, eight, so I have no idea that you know what was going on. Yeah. Um, one of the films that was affected back in two thousand and eight was Daniel Craig's Quantum of Silas. Um yep. he rewrote a lot of his own dialogue on that because they didn't have their writer there.
1: Yeah, right, and okay.
0: It apparently I've not seen it. I is have. Kind of trash.
1: It's the weakest one out of the Daniel yeah. Craig films. And that's kind of what um, happens when
0: you don't have professionals it, on yeah, set.
1: It, it lacks something. I don't know what you could say it is, but it's very dry. It's lack of charisma is is on the screen. It's just it's def- just the weakest one out of the five, six he's done.
0: And I was doing a little bit of research just before I came over this afternoon, just kept you know, keeping up with all this stuff now. Because yeah. I sort of deep dive this morning. Disney still wants its writers to I work. I
1: read about that like, as well. It's like, nope, we're still like, going to keep going. Even come if they and fine you, you've got to come in.
0: And what's happening as well is the in their contracts, yeah. they're very clearly and I'd say cleverly, but it's terrible, um, worded things so that they can try and be like, you're not technically Writing, but writing doesn't always mean like sitting down with mm-hmm. final draft open, like tapping away. It's like
1: so they've got their lawyers to look over it and word it in a way yeah. where it's like what they're saying it's, they're doing isn't what's actually going to be on strike. it's for. typical
0: okay. Disney being like, yeah. "Hey, we need money," but um, you got that
1: many powers at B.
0: In saying that, though, most of the films we watched this week were on Disney Plus. So, um, thank you, Disney. Disney owns everything. Yeah, yep. they
1: do. They've just keep amalgamating companies. Like, they're what, what keep can going. you do? Yeah.
0: Um, Powerhouse.
1: Yeah, Yeah. so that's the big news of this week. Uh, We didn't really delve into much else because that's going to really affect a lot of the industry at the moment. and
0: if it is halting all your TV shows and you're sad about it, so are the writers that aren't getting paid. (laughs)
1: exactly. If you like a TV show at the moment that's on TV and you want it back, maybe sign a petition. Yeah, do some
0: stuff, man, because it sucks to put – your heart and soul into stuff, and it's writing's brutal. Like it's all of your own trauma that you're putting out for people to enjoy. It's
1: and then people basically dissect it, yeah. And it's criticize it's grueling.
0: It, so. Um, and these guys are doing it and barely getting paid. And yeah. you know they should be allowed to. I think I can't remember the exact stats of it because I don't always like, trust Twitter and writers with math. It's not our strong suit. No. Um, but basically what they've already lost in Hollywood by not paying the writers what they asked it's, for is immensely more than what it would have cost them just to give them like four percent yeah. or
1: whatever it was i think it's four percent but based on inflation it yeah can, since the last strike it's actually 23 percent because also you got to take into the fact that a lot of tv shows are now not like what they used to be which was 22 episode seasons where they would get up paid based on an episode per rate it, they're down to like 10 episode limited series so they're getting paid at the same rate for like half a season so it's actually a lot less that they're getting paid real-term dollars. It's like 23%.
0: I didn't realise how great it was right now to have a screenwriter and an accountant yes. in this room, but <laughs> we've just figured this out.
1: Yeah, it's not we've great for it. it. That's why they're really doubling down on this strike, so we'll see how it goes.
0: So the topic of this week, if you haven't guessed already by our few little comments we've made, <laughs> is um, we're going to deep dive into Wes Anderson's filmography.
1: Yes. We've all seen them. We've all caught up now. Both me and yourself have... Um,
0: yeah, I watched all but Bottle Rocket because that's hard to come by now. Yeah,
1: it's it's... Wes's original film uh, back from, I think, 1998 was when it was released. Uh, 1996, actually, yeah. He released that in 96. That was his first film. Um, I have watched that one in particular. He wrote that with his good friend that he was roommates with at the University of Texas, Owen Wilson. So you all know Owen Wilson's films. He's been in a bunch. Um, He he was, yeah, rooming with him while they are at uni together. So I'll just do a little bit on Wes's kind of history as well, just so you get an idea of him.
0: Talk us through it, Shannon. I will,
1: I will. He was born in Texas. um, He's the middle brother of, yeah, three brothers. His older brother was a writer and a painter. So he's obviously got a lot of influence out of his older brother in terms of that. Um, He used to borrow his dad's uh, Super 8 camera, which was one of the original video cameras back in the day. So he used to film a lot of black and white movies when he was a kid with his brothers and his friends, just silent films, and that kind of just sparked a kind of love for that. So he did go, go into study a Bachelor of Arts while he was at uni. And that's when he kind of created this 13-minute short film called Bottle Rocket with Owen Wilson. Um, and they submitted that to Sundance Film Festival. Which is
0: crazy, mind you, that yeah. you know your, your first uni film you're sending to Sundance. That's like- crazy, yeah. That in itself is mental. Maybe it was different in the late 90s. I don't know, but that's mental Because Sundance is a huge film festival. Oh, it's It's like massive. that. It's like Cairns. It's yeah. one
1: of the big ones, South by Southwest. It did quite well. So it got the attention of um, a movie film producer, James L. Brooks, who's in charge of Gracie Films, who does The Simpsons and a bunch of other stuff as well. Um, he really liked it, and so he backed the film to being made into a feature film. And then two years later, they released the full, full-length feature film Bottle Rocket. Yeah, so that's his first film. So I don't know if you want to run through – we'll just say the films that he's done and we'll kind of probably maybe break them down and then go into themes and that. So his first film was Bottle Rocket, which was released in 1996. Then he went on to do a movie called Rushmore, which was in 1998. He then went on to The Royal Tenenbaums, Mm -hmm. which is in 2001. Uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zisso, which was 2004. And then he went on to Darjeeling Limited, 2007. Fantastic mix to Fox, which was the first stop motion one, mm-hmm. uh, 2009. Moonrise Kingdom, 2012. Grand Budapest Hotel, 2014. Isle of Dogs, 2018. The French Dispatch, which was in 2021. That was delayed. It was supposed to be 2020.
0: Yeah, thank you, COVID.
1: Thank you, COVID. And then, yeah, Asteroid City, which is coming out this year.
0: I don't think I've been – actually, no, that's a lie. I'm going to rephrase that, but I am so excited – for Asteroid City, I think it might already be one of my favourite Wes Anderson films.
1: I've watched the trailer a couple of times just this
0: week. It looks so much fun.
1: And not only is it what you'll hear a couple of times is how Wes Anderson it is, mm. it's um, just a sort of star-studded cast. Yeah. I love each and every one of them that's in it. It looks like it's uh, it's based in rural America, uh, small town, and it looks like aliens invade, and they have to be kept there by the government to make sure they're like not infected.
0: Or, like, and I love just anything sort of alien in general just because when I was, like, super, super. I mean, I don't, like, watch all of the, like, you know, UFO explain like, are they real? Like, I don't watch that kind of stuff. But when I was, like, super little, the boys that I grew up with that were five and ten years older than me Mm. and then their dad used to always just be like, oh, yeah, aliens, aliens this, aliens that. I saw an alien yesterday and they used to scare me, my sister. And mum's like, can you – I've got to go home. They've got (laughs) to sleep tonight. Get them
1: out of here. But just
0: for, like, so many of my, like, very formative – years people Mm. were just trying to make me believe aliens existed and i did and i don't mean aliens (laughs) in like there's something else out there which i now believe Mm. i mean like little green men little green aliens
1: yeah that's funny because i as a kid watched mars attacks when it was first on tv which is a tim burton film and it's supposed to be a satire of like the 1960s kind of alien invasion movies uh at the time i thought it was like legit and uh, so i was like absolutely terrified of these alien creatures coming in like attacking and killing everyone it, later when i watched it again like the other year it's it's very much a, a comedy based movie as as like a six or seven year old i freaked out i did not have a good time with that so yeah that probably scarred me a little yeah, bit yeah i have another films. one at
0: about six or seven that terrified me but um i'll save that for another episode when we get in depth <laughs> stuff that scares us because it's horror. a funny story yeah, yeah. There's a few
1: there for me too it's a good one um what was your favorite film out of Wes Anderson's? Um,
0: I think and it's interesting because I went back and I rewatched a couple of them this week and then I yeah. watched ones that I hadn't seen. And I think just before I get into sort of my favorite or whatever, I think I have a very interesting view of them in the sense like most people, I think I romanticise his films a lot more. Mm. So the bits that I remember, it's like, oh, it's whimsical and yeah. it's got this, it's got that. And then I re-watched them this week and I'm like, oh, they're really depressing in, in a lot of them. They yeah. are
1: very depressing. So I think... It's mostly about, like, um, you know, dysfunctional families. Yeah. Uh, loss like of innocence.
0: Once uh, you sort of look at it and forget the whimsy and how yeah. he shoots and stuff, you're like, oh, this is kind of depressing. But yeah. I think my favorite is one that I rewatched this morning because mm-hmm. I waited and let, saved it to last was The Royal Tenenbaums.
1: That is I
0: great. yeah, love that one so much. I think it's just the fact that it is, and I very much just dysfunctional family. Yeah. The characters are super amusing. Yeah. I kind of love the character Margot in it, just the whole yeah, fact.
1: Yeah, Paltrow's character. Yeah. yeah,
0: and she's brilliant. They're like, whatever she's into now in Goop, and forget that. She's yeah. brilliant in that yeah. film. And I just love, I think, this fact that she's adopted. The
1: adoptive daughter, yeah.
0: And her whole thing is just that she has all these secrets from her family and then they sort of unravel. She's having an affair as well. Yeah, she's having an affair. She's married to um,
1: Bill Murray's character, Rayleigh. Which is
0: wild. And then, you know, she smokes. I don't know if she smokes. She lost a finger. They don't know how she lost a finger. Yeah. Um,
1: She just goes off and does these, like, adventures, comes back. It says nothing, basically. And
0: they just they sort of slowly find out who she is. But I think that part of it, I don't know, it's fun to watch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that that would be up there with one of my favorites. The other one was definitely The Life Aquatic mm, with Steve Zissou. I
0: love that one. It is. So I watched that last night.
1: It's so well written. it's just, you know, Bill Murray being the eccentric character that he is. William Defoe is fantastic. Oh
0: my god, they're all great in it. Yeah. Just like, the, Kate Blanchett's in it. I forgot she was in it. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot Kate Blanchett was in, in the film.
1: Um, there's a bunch of people that obviously Wes Anderson uses I, in nearly every film, mm-hmm. so they keep the same crew and cast through most of Wes Anderson films. Yeah. But this one particularly stood out to me just because it is just basically it, it starts off with being him on a revenge tour about this like deep sea animal who killed his ex partner, tiger, tiger, white, jaguar shark, The jaguar, the jaguar, the jaguar shark, shark,
0: which is not a jaguar shark. He just made up the him, first yeah. two things he could think of.
1: Yeah, and it starts off with that, but it becomes. Towards the end, like, you know, yet again, a dysfunctional family story because he Owen Wilson's character becomes his long-lost son and they discover that. He's like, hey, do you want to become a part of my documentary? I'm documentary-finding this jaguar shark. Do you want to be part of it? And it's just them going along, essentially, family issues, the way they, like, interact. And towards the end, it's just, like, this beautiful story and I just love it.
0: I... I love like another, I've got a couple questions. Yes. Um, But I love, and she's not my favorite, one of the reoccurring cast members, but when they put Angelica Houston in it, so she's in that one and then she's also in the Royal Tenenbaums as the mum.
1: She's in Darjeeling um, Limited as well. well. She's the mother. She
0: just has this presence about her where she's not a big presence in the films, so to speak, but there's just something about her charisma that works with them. I'm going to ask a question. Who's your favorite reoccurring cast member that he puts in?
1: It's um, it's definitely Bill Murray. Yeah, mine Bill Murray too. is fantastic as like the melancholic, stoic character, but also flawed, yeah. very flawed in all the characters he does in it. Uh, I think Bill Murray's wheelhouse is that indi- mm-hmm. independent film.
0: He's great in Lost in Translation too, which That's what is I was not thinking
1: of. this is that was the, the same film. director
0: at all, obviously. But. No,
1: but when I thought about Wes Anderson films, the other film that came to mind was Lost in Translation because it's the
0: his character type is quite yes. the same. They're same with cast. Scarlett Johansson. Mm. Like it's,
1: it's something that Wes Anderson would write. Mm. It, yeah. uh,
0: same if, sort of thematic, Yeah, but not quite. Yeah, and I wanted, maybe I'll talk about it now, just before we get too far mm. in. Wes Anderson is a director that people would call an auteur. Yes. So they talk about his style and his films. Um, And I thought I'd just get into that before we get too far in because it dictates sort of the rest of it. An auteur, quite simply, is just a filmmaker who has a very distinct voice throughout their work whether it's just visual or it's also like thematic. Ones that you would know is like Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. Tim Burton, David Lynch, people that you watch their film, you go, oh, someone says, oh, that's- Oh, it's a Quentin Tarantino
1: film. It's you can a Tarantino tell by you know. looking
0: at it. And I use the term casually because people don't like the term auteur. Sometimes some people think it's like bull. Some people like, no, auteurs are real because mm. it's kind of this elitist way of looking at filmmakers. Also, it's important to note, while I was Googling this, if you Google famous auteurs, only men- Come up, yes. Because female directors aren't recognized in it's, the same way. Which no, is, no, it's
1: just female directors, which is shit.
0: But mm. it's true, and we can move on. I think
1: Greta Gerwig could be kind of considered,
0: but she's not. Like, and there's Lena Lena Dunham, yeah. who's not big now, but was big. And they yeah. just have these—they're auteurs technically, but yeah. no one wants to think of them as auteurs because nah. women are just off there doing their own little films. Sometimes they're good, which hopefully will change soon. But I don't—I'm not going to hold my breath. No. But
1: but that's... I'm going to
0: point it out while we're here.
1: Good. I yeah. think it's a good thing to note. Um, do we want to talk about, like, the particular styles of his films? Like, the things that would essentially relate to what is a Wes Anderson film?
0: Yeah, let's do that a bit and then we can jump into some fun ones as yeah. we
1: go. We'll go from there. So, like, the biggest thing that Wes Anderson is known for is, like, when you think about it, you go, cool. It's the symmetry. Mm-hmm. The shots are always symmetrical. Everything's always, like, centred and... Which and-
0: is not typically how you frame a film.
1: No. You never see that over over arm shot when someone's talking to someone else. They're always either centred or in alignment uh, to the yeah. camera.
0: There's different techniques that you're supposed to use, yeah. um, which obviously you can break if you're a genius like Wes Anderson or yeah. um old mate that did um, Fury Road.
1: Yeah, I know George who you Miller. mean. Yeah. yeah, George Miller. He does He's it Australian. as well. He's Australian. Yeah, very yeah. much yeah.
0: centres it and it works if you know what you're doing. Yeah, People so like to take techniques that like real famous people do when they're in like film school and try and emulate it and it doesn't work because you're not professional yet
1: person as well like they're known for that particular feature
0: and i think if you're gonna try and sort of mimic or take on a style of another director then you need to do it out of a love not because you think it's great because it just doesn't translate
1: uh one of the other things that um anderson definitely likes to do is he does like whip pans Mm -hmm. and um planimetric composition is what I kind of looked up as the name of it. Oh, okay. It's utilising the background as basically a flat panel as a part of the set. And what he does is when he does a whip pan, he'll always do it in 90 degrees or 100 degrees um, like whips. So Mm -hmm. like it turns from the character to the character. It's always in that particular motion. Um, And what it does is it settles the background. So what you're actually – focusing in on is what's occurring in, f- in the foreground. That's cool. Yeah, I, I thought that was actually a really cool thing to look up as the way he kind of treats the camera. is. Yeah,
0: yeah. and um, I think it's cool to note, like, in most of his films, he's had the same cinematographer who's this bloke called Robert D. Yeoman, and he's done some incredible films that aren't just Wes's. Yeah. Um, but he was saying that he, when he works on his films, because he'd done so many, that whenever he's setting up a shot, he's always, like, getting all the measurements mm. right and making sure it's square and then Wes will sort of wander in later because it's always, you know crew sort of first and then directors are doing everything else yeah, and then they yeah. come in at the end and they go we sh- we good yeah. and he'd always be like is it centered to the corners of the room and they'd be like yeah, yes, Wes, yes we're so on it we're yeah, good because of the symmetry yeah is it's cool yeah
1: he uses the was the term wardrobe rather than no rather than wardrobe he likes the characters being costumes yeah which yeah.
0: i think is kind of interesting to note because he likes this sort of exaggerated stuff which yeah. is where people get Wes Anderson from Wes Anderson films yeah. is his style, and I think his costumes are pretty great in them.
1: They are fantastic. If you think of like Dear G- Darjeeling Limited*, mm-hmm. like the outfits the as they're going through, yes, the PJs, just everything. Like the setting in India was just fantastic. Yeah. The particular outfits in the Royal Tenenbaums. Bombs, um, the each, jumpsuits and stuff. I was gonna say tracksuits or whatever they are. Each of the three kids has like a like a set yep. outfits. The jumpsuits for uh, Ben Stiller's character, the Margot has that particular outfit that everyone cosplays.
0: Yeah, it's um, kind of With great. the
1: eyeliner. And like
0: the fur coat and stuff. And
1: then Luke Wilson's character is the- The tennis player. The retired tennis yeah. player because he has a nervous breakdown and he always still wears the tennis outfit. Which I think kind of great in that like
0: every, like all the other kids, because they're all, there's a family of geniuses and like yeah. all the other kids have kind of forgotten- their childhood in a sense of like they're not holding on to it so tightly in that they're geniuses in the same way not like but he's character. like yeah. i'm still dressing up <laughs> yeah in my tennis outfit even though i'm like well retired and it looks old like it looks oh, like yeah. it's from but when he's he he's still holding to that um and i think that's kind of important later to for his, his character yeah yeah, yeah his As breakdown he's, later on yeah his
1: growth in his character yeah. um he tends to write with Owen Wilson a lot as mm-hmm. well. He he he's co-bra- collaborated with Owen Wilson on quite a and few. I and also
0: he started with Owen Wilson. It was more I think Owen Wilson's project Bottle Rocket than it was his. Yeah. In that Owen's name is first credited. Yeah. And then after that, in it's all Wes, Anderson, Wes Anderson's yeah. others, it's Wes Anderson, and yeah. then it'll be like Roman Coppola, just, yeah, um, you know, Jason Schwartzman. Yep. Um, Noah Bambach has done yep. a few with him as well. Yeah, but he has. and then there's someone else, Hugo. I don't know some guy that originally did a lot on the French. Disp- no? Yeah.
1: I think he did more Maybe of he's the just written stuff Fantastic with Mr. Fox as well. Mm. Well, Because that's based on a Royal Dahl book.
0: Yeah. So there's the ones as well that are obviously based on existing IP. Yeah,
1: He also tends to uh, frame the story to be within a story. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his um, movies open with, you know, someone opening a book. Or like in Rushmore, it's projected as if it's a play because a lot of the parts when they open open as if, like, the curtains open and it's, like, part one.
0: I think it's cool. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, he does that style. a lot
1: too. Like, he also sets the film up in parts. Like, you'll pay part one and it'll say, like, a little segment, like, part one. And, like, that goes on in uh, quite a few of his films.
0: Yeah, and I think Steve Zissou does it as well because it's parts of the documentary. Exactly. That that's he's how that set up is the documentary. So it's... Shooting st- the film. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, a lot of stories within a story, so it like kind of heightens. It works for his style because it sets it as if it's not reality, like it's a, it's a heightened reality. Yeah, definitely. Like it's like it's a story. It's a whimsical story he's telling through sets the eyes of a set different apart, set yeah. of eyes because it's set up that way. So he can use the things like the um the different color palettes that he loves to use, like particularly like the Grand Budapest Hotels, mm-hmm. like that that color palette is just iconic, like the pink and the white, um, very the European the, era setting. Yeah the uniforms
0: um, that they all wear the, the
1: purple uniforms um he can do that because it's set in a different reality yeah like that, that it's sort of a fairy
0: tale-esque way yeah. of telling a story that's why he yeah. frames
1: most of his films and um, i think
0: it works for him really french really dispatch well
1: dispatch is based the fact that it's the last issue being yeah of a magazine that, of, a, of that magazine in the french
0: while we're talking country. about french dispatch what was your least favorite Wes anderson film
1: my least favorite was probably Rushmore. Yeah, yeah.
0: I and you didn't even finish the French uh, Dispatch, or have you finished it? Uh, now? I didn't
1: finish. I had twenty minutes to go, um, and that's because something else came up. I just didn't get back to it. Mm. I didn't mind French Dispatch. Okay. It had like the two the two parts were fine um, that I saw because three parts mainly to that film. Like it's broken yeah. up in parts again. And I stopped in the third one. Rushmore for me, I struggled with just because of the way that. Jason Schwartzman portrayed the character. I don't think he did a bad job in acting. I just think I was really... It was really tough for me to relate to the character of Max in that film.
0: Yeah, I felt the same way. Yeah. I i had a sick day and I watched it and I was like, I'm not loving this. It was yeah. it was the toughest
1: one to get through. I don't know if it was just there was the lack of story behind his yeah. drive of a character as well. So the idea of the story is uh, Max is a teenage boy at Rushmore Academy. Academy, Academy or, yeah. um, and he...
0: He's there on scholarship. He's
1: there on scholarship. He falls, he comes infatuated with a certain teacher there. Mm -hmm. Uh, He tries to, all these things to get her attention, but he ends up getting expelled. In the interim, he becomes friends with this older gentleman through the school who's played by Bill Murray. Um, And they become friends essentially, but um, behind the scenes, Bill Murray is having an affair with the teacher. So Bill Murray is married, but he's also seeing the teacher. The character of Max finds out and basically the rest of the film becomes their rivalry of like, you know, doing pranks on each other to get back on one another
0: for for what happens. I don't like to talk badly about it in the sense that it was his first, well, it was his second film, but his first very much my own film and it was kind of takes inspo from being a teenager and his school and they shot it in his high school and all this kind of stuff. Yeah but it's hard to sort of relate to and sympathise with who is essentially this like – like he's really this pretentious, wanky teenage yeah. boy who falls in love with this teacher who's a woman and she's like, I can't – I'm not falling in love with you because you're a teenage boy. Yeah, he's really, and then his whole thing is he's just like, I'm upset because she doesn't love me yeah, back. and it comes and across like, on screen yeah, as quite bratty. Yeah. Not
1: that I think it was intended to be that no, way. Because he's supposed to be this really ambitious character who's driven – He's quite driven, but he's still failing academically. He's really – he's told at the start of the film, he's like, if you fail one more class, you're out of here. Basically, you've got to keep on point. He's, he's involved with a bunch of different, like, um, projects in the school, like the film department and, like, a bunch of – Fencing, department, and fencing. It shows Anything you can think. Quick shots of him yeah. doing different, like, clubs, a essentially. Montage. A montage you're showing this character of like what he would represent. Like he's really ambitious. He's a go-getter. He w- he gets what he wants basically because he's on a Scholarship. You know, he's really got to try to get everything because he's not from a wealthy background. He's from middle class. So he's really got to try to get everything. It's not handed to him in a silver platter. So when he's essentially told he can't have the teacher character, it kind of portrays on screen as like a bratty kind of outburst, yeah, but I don't think it's supposed it's to be. Essentially. I don't
0: know. And I think because it was 1998, which was yeah. like ages ago now, society's changed and the way we look at stuff's changed. And I yeah. remember watching the scene where he ends up in the teacher's house because he fakes it. He fake falls off his bike in the yeah. rain and then she's, yeah. like, come inside because it's raining and whatever. Yeah. And then he, like, tries to kiss her yeah, he tries and to stuff kiss her. and she's, yeah. like... She's still, like, no, even at that like point. No, the whole which, time
1: she's, like, no. She's really kind to him because she's obviously she's a nice. caring yeah. teacher and she cares about her students. She's, student like, spouse. you're just a she's
0: kid with a crush. Yeah. But it's awkward watching that now as an, yeah. like... Yeah, cuz you're like, "Oh, it's hard to sympathize with you." And I know you're a teenager, but like, don't. Yeah, yeah it's it's a weird thing when you watch something. That's my watch. It'll so I'm just going to talk about <laughs> it. And to tie it in with film, it's an old Casio F91. It's like a watch all these men in the 80s like, walk well, cuz I have yeah. old men be like, "Oh, I had that watch as a kid." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm child-sized." Um fun fact, yeah. two characters that are like in TV at the moment have the same watch that I've noticed.
1: Yellow jackets? No. No.
0: One of them is um good old Eddie from Stranger Things.
1: Yeah, okay. And the yep. other
0: one I was very chuffed to find is Charlie Kale from Pokerface. Oh, cool. Has okay. the same watch. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll just gotta like tie that. that in because we keep...
1: It's going to go off probably at random points yeah. in every episode because, you know, it goes across to the next hour. So. Yeah,
0: so that's what that is if yep. you hear it. Back to back Wes to, Anderson. Back to Wes
1: Anderson. So Wes Anderson um, apparently wrote Rushmore based on his own kind of upbringing because he, he went to a prep school. Uh, so did Owen Wilson. They both did. So, they basically wrote about their experiences and then threw in the kind of um, teacher kind of love triangle aspect because they wanted to see what it would be like if a 15-year-old and like a 50-year-old became friends and equals and then what would the fall of that out of that would look like. That's
0: cool. I like it in concept and I think it was well done. I just...
1: Yeah. I don't blame Jason Schwartzman. No. Yeah. I don't think he... It was his fault in acting. I just think it was, the, it was hard to portray in a way that they wanted, but it just didn't come out and that way.
0: And also, it, it, they were all very young in their professional careers, so it's not a bad yeah. performance. It's, a, it's, it's his just, second film. They were all super young. and yeah.
1: He really hit his stride when he got to his next one, which was The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, and I,
0: I really loved that one.
1: So that one was originally wrote – it was written beforehand while they were still kind of doing the first two films – um, he originally wrote that with Gene Hackman in mind to begin with. So it was basically wrote around that character and it was given to Gene Hackman's agent. He didn't originally want to agree on it.
0: Yeah, this story is kind of sad in a yeah. bittersweet way, yeah.
1: He didn't agree on it, but then it was like, yeah, his agent told him to do it, and which is fantastic because he ended up Getting, you know, I think it was like an Academy Award. He's nod. amazing
0: in it. He's phenomenal. Yeah. I and think I he's, mean Gene Hackman's great, but he's a central yeah.
1: character of the film. He's his name is Royal Tenenbaum. He is the character of Royal Tenenbaum. But yeah, he's about, the patriarch of the yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, and it's about it's about the three kids as obviously they're yeah children prodigies when they're young. They've got they're quite good at everything they do, and then they grow up, and they've got that post success disappointment with life. They're basically you know. On the other side as of- Has been yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. And they're still, they're known as the Royal Tenenbaums, but they're not it anymore. No,
0: all of them are severely depressed. Yeah. And I think that's how it, it starts, because yeah. they find out that, oh, which one was it?
1: Gene Hackman's character, Royal Tenenbaum, He's out he, of the picture. He comes back though. Mm-hmm. He comes back because he he wants to, you know, um, come back to the family, get back with his ex-wife, because yep. his ex-wife is getting married to Donald Glover's character. Yeah, he tries to come in by saying he has a terminal illness. Yeah, which and, is super awkward. Yeah, he basically just wants to, you know, reestablish himself in the family.
0: Yeah, and I think that one really had the tone that Wes then takes on and keeps doing in all of his other ones. And mm. that kind of idea of, like, messy family dynamic. Like, mm. all of his films have it, even if they're not a, like, biological family. Like, they end up as sort of found family yeah, yeah. messy dynamics.
1: What was your least favourite film? I didn't ask you.
0: That was, yeah, Rushmore for me. Rushmore but as I well? But I think it's yeah, okay. just that I couldn't, not that I couldn't relate, but I found it sort of bratty, hard to sympathise with the character that yeah. on paper is yeah. kind of hard to sympathise. The other one is probably. I think they
1: wanted to have a redemption arc, but I just didn't see it coming about yeah, by the end.
0: I didn't feel it. Like I wasn't like, oh yeah, I love it. The other one, maybe The French Dispatch. Okay. Yeah, um, I when can I see why as well. I watched it. I mean, it's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. Like, mm. as a film, I can watch it, see it as the techniques and everything like that. And, you know, like, I understand that. Yeah. But just personally, I didn't really connect to yeah. it too much.
1: What about the stop motion ones? How did you feel about Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox?
0: I didn't love Isle of Dogs. I didn't hate it either. Yeah. Um, But I just didn't fall in love with it. But I was... The Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I'll ask you the question later, but it was the one I was probably the most surprised about in yeah. all of his films. Um, I'd seen it in parts when I was a kid mm-hmm. because it came out around that time, and they'd play it at school because seven, yeah, you know, roll doll and and that kind of thing. But I hadn't seen it in cinemas, and I hadn't seen it in full. Yeah, and I went and watched it the other night, and I really loved it, and I didn't expect to love yeah. it as much as I did.
1: I surprisingly liked it as well. I think George Clooney did a fantastic job as the Fantastic yeah. Mr. Fox. Um, and it's a really nice, nice, endearing story about these foxes that just want to live. Yeah, like <laughs> it's very much,
0: obviously it's based on Roald Dahl and it doesn't stray too far from Roald Dahl, but it also had, it felt like a Wes Anderson film and as well. Yeah, it's without still got
1: that centering color palette, yeah. quick shots, snapshots of things. like. But it
0: didn't take a – like, it wasn't like Wes was trying to put his mark on something that already existed yeah. and try and make it more his than it needed to be. I just – yeah. It's I like was
1: the two would work together regardless, mm. like Roald Dahl's kind He's
0: doing f- another one of Roald Dahl's, like, stories, yeah. but I don't know what it's called. It's not one that I'm familiar with. Yeah, okay. But that's in the works. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, after Asteroid City. Mm. Yeah, okay.
0: Which one surprised you the most?
1: The one that surprised me the most, um, that's a good question. Like in a,
0: like I enjoyed this way, not in a like I didn't enjoy this way. Probably
1: probably the Grand Budapest Hotel, honestly. I thought that was just the scale that they went to in that particular film. I thought was, yeah, amazing. Um, I don't know if, if I was ready for that kind of story as well. It was quite um, touching to get that story of the bellhop becoming the owner and like that progression of the story of like how he – inherits the hotel and what it kind of represents for him because obviously his um, relationship with the previous kind of owner.
0: When did you watch this one?
1: I watched – okay, I'm going to start with I, – I watched all my Wes Anderson films basically in a row and very recently too. I, so was I, that
0: only a couple of years ago when you were yeah, talking to me about it? Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So I didn't really know about Wes Anderson cinema. Um, it was actually someone from our mutual work, uh, Carl – Oh, yeah. Told me a v- hey, he, Carl, if you're hey listening. He showed me a video because they did an SNL skit on what if a Wes Anderson film was done as a horror. And he showed me it and I was like, oh, yeah, what do you mean? He's like, have you not watched a Wes Anderson film like the way he kind of like directs? I'm like, I guess I haven't. And he was flabbergasted by that he as well. have been. And His face, no. Yeah, he I broke. can imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, so I went back and I looked up all the films uh, I wanted to watch them in order of release. So oh, so is that how you did it? I did it cool. of order of release. I organized to get a copy of Bottle Rocket to begin with because that's really hard to find. I had to mm-hmm. get one shipped in for myself. And then the rest are actually on Disney+, Plus, like we said. So I watched them in order only about two to three years ago and pretty in pretty quick succession as well. Yeah, so I remember you watching A couple them. of weeks I had watched all of them.
0: Because that's what got me back into watching them. So, Grand Budapest Hotel was actually the first one I'd ever seen. Yeah, right. um, Like, in full. Like, I'd seen bits of Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I don't really count it in that way. Yeah, I was... Because it came out 2014.
1: Yes. Yes, it did.
0: I watched it probably 2015. I was in TAFE and I was Mm. studying film before I went and did my uni degree. And everyone was talking about it because this was his biggest film. It was the biggest film of that year, I think. It's his most Um,
1: successful financially as well.
0: Yeah, and it, it won a lot of, like um Academy Award or it was nominated for a bunch of yeah, Academy. It was I can't remember nominated. how many it won. So that was the first Wes Anderson film that I'd seen. And I remember really enjoying it. Not enough to go and watch the other ones. I don't think I don't think I appreciated it then as much as I do now, in that I was kind of younger. I hadn't seen a lot of films in mm-hmm. general at that age. And yep. I didn't have the same appreciation for cinema as I have now Now, and I don't think even in uni I did because I was I was studying it so I could understand academically yeah and I could understand films and why they were good academically and I enjoyed them and that kind of thing but I think it's only in the last few years when I just started watching stuff more for fun more for me yeah and getting into specific stuff without having to study it that I really have kind of found what I really love in In cinema and in movies, and 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 I say it differently because some are more wankier than others, and some are just fun. Um, like you know, like a good old picture, and then just a film. So I think, yeah, that was one that I really enjoyed, and then I watched it again this week.
1: Yeah,
0: I didn't remember the story. I mean, I knew the gist. I was like, oh yeah, and then he becomes a this and this and this. So much of it I'd forgotten. Yeah, and then I was rewatching it. I was like, Jesus, man! I like I said, I really romanticised just like oh, and then he's fun colors, and is this, and is that, and then I like watched his films again. I was like, oh. This is a lot more...
1: It's deeper than you think because you get, than I you get remember. shown on screen. It's the, it's portrayed in a way where it's like, yeah, like you said, fun, whimsical, mm-hmm. fantasy-esque style, narrative-driven. And
0: everyone's doing it at the moment, which I think is kind of sweet, like all over TikTok.
1: Oh, yeah, that's happening at They're moment,
0: like right? shooting days in our lives sort of thing as Wes if it was Anderson, a Wednesday and a film. film. And I hadn't seen it because I don't have TikTok because I'm an old man now and I can't handle it. Um, But I went on YouTube and I watched it. The a, a, a few because yeah, so I wanted to get... The gist, but when one I one I did see, I think on Instagram because I'm old and I get it late. Someone was filming a day in the life, mm. and they go and they check their computer, and they got laid off from work. Oh. So midway through, they which just very Wes Anderson. That was actually, like, fitting
1: of a Wes Anderson film. But
0: midway through this um, video, they just get laid off, so it gets real sad for a while. <laughs> but I think it's cool that like that, even that? if it is a trend, but people are really yeah. like appreciating what he does. Yeah, they they're doing and emulating it. Yeah, the trend. I saw yeah.
1: one recently. It was on YouTube. Um, it was, what if Wes Anderson made a Star Wars film? Is
0: this the AI it's stuff? It's the AI one. and I got sent a Harry Potter one and I couldn't watch it because I I didn't watch the Harry stressed. Potter
1: one, but the... The Star Wars one's pretty accurate. Of what AI scares me. It freaks it's me It's freak. Out. It's the the pictures were freaky, but like just like the yeah the centering the the who play because it does who who would play who in that that's as well. That's cool. It's like Owen Wilson is Darth Vader, and it just goes wow. It's very <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, so it's becoming a trend at the moment. Like how you know, the Life of how you do a Wes Anderson film. So I mean, that's what he's known for is like particular styles, and it's just be, like you said, he become an auteur based on his and I directing think style. I
0: watched him say something in a thing uh, like a video this morning and he was kind of saying that like he doesn't like, he does the same shots and he does his same things cause he likes it. Yeah. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to see it the way audiences see mm. his work and he's, and I think he's just doing it cause that's how he likes to make films rather than being wanky yeah. and like really trying to stick to his particular, but, like he's not trying to produce a product. He's just trying to make films in a way that he yeah, likes, which he, I appreciate.
1: He definitely, yeah. he's got a lot of influence out of like French cinema, mm-hmm. like the earlys, like 1950s, 1960s, 1970s French cinema, which is a lot of his like uh, zoom shots and, and whip pans are uh, basically drawn upon. And just he's like, even the stories, like he's drawn along a lot of like that French style cinema into his stories, which is why that's like a, you know, melancholic and dreary at times, but also gut-wrenching because you obviously feel the characters because you build your way through loving them. yeah
0: i really enjoyed his films and i found it interesting like there was a couple things watching them back now in yeah. 2023 that sort of it didn't take me out of it and i still really love them so it didn't it didn't affect it in that way but you watch it and you go oh why are you making these choices mr yeah. anderson and there's a lot in um steve Zissou.
1: yes okay. um
0: he uses and i'm not gonna say it because i can't but he uses the f slur a lot oh, in terms yeah. of um gay men which he doesn't do it in a totally derogatory no. way and it is quite, yeah, it's interesting the way he does it or he uses another one in that film as well, which I guess, yeah, I sort of speak to him more, which he, uses, he calls Kate, uh, what's her character's name? Kate Blanchett's character. Kate Blanchett's character, like, he calls her a bull die because she doesn't want to sleep with him, which yeah. is kind of interesting. And um, as that's done in that film, I you can laugh at it because it doesn't feel super, yeah. super offensive. Um, but I think now you watch it and you're like, ooh, and he did it a bit in, I think, Grand Budapest. yeah. As well, with the F slow, which is typically more, probably, uh, I don't know, both are problematic and you can't use them.
1: Yeah, but, but also the setting. The, the setting, setting, I think, it was 1930s when yeah. it would, the the original story takes mm-hmm. place in the 30s. It's getting told to someone in the 60s. Uh, and that's written into a novel that kind of is now.
0: Yeah. And that, it makes it, I say interesting because I don't want to say it's okay. No. Cause it's still kind of, it's, yeah, it very rightfully to a lot of people isn't. No, but but I understand why it's used and that's cool. Wes Anderson probably stopped that now.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to turn up in no. Asteroid City.
0: No, and I kind of think yeah. yeah. Just in terms of time, yeah. and time and place and understanding and, and all that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, don't do don't don't, don't keep, do it anymore. Keep going down that route. Again,
0: I could watch those films and it didn't it didn't upset me.
1: It didn't take you out of Mm-mm. the experience or what it meant. And I did another one film. as well.
0: Because I kept think, because I think about films in in many different ways. Even if they don't personally like upset me, so to mm. speak. But I was watching Darjeeling Limited, mm. and the whole time I was like, why the hell is it set in India? Because the the Indians in itself aren't central to the story. They don't change the story. Like he could have no, set that in set any, any other anywhere. country, yeah. and it would have worked. Um, and I kept being like, if you're gonna put like, it's, it, Wes Anderson typically has very white casts, and yeah, I'm it's like, always a male you protagonist. Could, you could. Be, <laughs> He could very much switch it up because he has this whimsy. So it's not like he has to stick so strongly to like, yes, this is set in a town where it's predominantly what you don't have to, because his whole thing is like fairy tale. Yeah. So he could look past his few. We'll see if he does in the future, whether you do or don't, I'm still going to watch your film. still going to enjoy them. Yeah. It doesn't take me out like that. But I kept thinking that with um, Darjeeling, why is it in India? It's if they're India. not set to the story, they don't yep. change anything. And they don't really like get into the culture as much, which he ends up doing more in um, *Isle of Dogs*. Yeah. But then I was watching a thing today, and it's um, he had a lot, or he looked up to a certain Indian director. I think it was yeah, so the okay. film is dedicated to, to him, and that's yeah. why he said it in India. Yeah. So knowing that, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. But from an outsider, it also makes not sense for knowing Wes Anderson, that,
1: and how much influence he has, like, he yeah, takes and puts into his work mm-hmm. um, from other. Yeah, you know, sources,
0: but I did. Yeah, I find it interesting. Yeah, and I just thought we'd talk about it. Yeah, but I thought it was pretty. I don't cool. think it's enough. What you make? Talk of the... negatively of him? Like I don't want it to come yeah. across like that. I just only yeah. kind of
1: critique you'd have. is Yeah, if, if it's that. like okay.
0: you, you from a twenty twenty three perspective, yeah. looking at his body of work
1: as a whole, as a whole, as a whole. It's yeah.
0: like, hey, you could, you don't have to. You could look outside your like some of your cast and cast more.
1: Whether he will or not, because yeah. he's been working with them for 20, 25 years. And that's the thing. Years. I'm not saying go and do it because um,
0: you can do what you want. And I'm not saying it makes you a bad person for not doing that. I'm just saying you could. You could. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It would yeah, really change what a Wes Anderson film would be. Yeah. yeah.
0: And he's he's cast people of color in his films before, oh, but yeah. not a whole heap.
1: What did you think of Darjeeling's limited story?
0: I wasn't charmed by it to begin with, mm. Um, wasn't really sure where it was going going I did like yeah I did like it but I wasn't like I wasn't sold on it yeah then as the film keeps going and you learn a bit more about it and then you understand the story that he is trying to tell yeah then I really loved it so I think I had more appreciation of it at the end because of the payoff.
1: Exactly how I felt sense. with that one as well.
0: But to start I was like, I don't know, but I was I kept finding actors that have been in all of his stuff that I hadn't noticed until mm. I was rewatching that one. Mm. And I was like, Ah, I know you from like all sorts of like places yeah. recently. So they've got um and I don't remember these actors' names. I'm very, very sorry. Who do they play? Um so there's the guy that's in the Limited, he's one of the brothers. Yeah. Um he's been in Poker Face, Adrian Brody. Yeah,
1: Adrian Brody, yeah. Because he's also in Grand Budapest as well. Yeah,
0: and then the other guy who's been in a bunch of them that I didn't recognise used to be in Russian Doll, and this all ties back to the stuff that yeah, I've been watching okay, a lot. Yeah, yeah, Um, He plays War Dog in Russian Doll. I think his name's War of someone or yeah. other, and I'm, I'm butchering it. I'm really sorry. I should have done my research, but I wasn't expecting to talk about <laughs> this right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was in Russian Doll as like War Dog, and then they're just people that I've seen in stuff that I like now, and yeah. then I was recognising him that, and I'm like, oh, that's so that's cool great. that they yeah. all sort of end up working with the same people. Mm-hmm. Later on. and yeah. Good. It was cool.
1: Yeah, that's how I felt seeing it as well. It's like when you watch the next film and you see the person from the previous film in the same film, you're like, ah, oh, that's great. And they kind of continue adding people to the list. And that's a thing that each. auteurs
0: definitely are known to do. They yeah. reuse essentially their friends. Yeah. Um,
1: well, Quentin Tarantino does yeah. that with Samuel Jackson all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's known for that. Yeah, it's just obviously they've got a consistent cast they can work with and know what they like. Uh, same with the crew. So he uses the same crew as well for every film. Mm. Because he knows exactly. Well, they know what he wants, so he knows they will do what he needs. Yeah, and
0: it's not uncommon for Hollywood to do that, but yeah. I think you notice it more in people that are considered auteurs because they have a specific yeah. style, um, and people either want to do those films or they just don't want to do those yeah. films professionally. And yeah,
1: it doesn't happen very often for like you know your big popcorn flicks, you know entertainment value fix. They'll just get whoever. Mm. And, even sometimes, like, even the director doesn't matter because it will be, like, those big, like, company-driven productions yeah, it's and they a just big, get anyone in like, to independent
0: do it. cinema Yeah, thing. It, this yeah, is a very much well, – They're Anderson obviously not getting – I mean, Wes is different now because he's such a high –
1: Prestige. Prestige. But yeah. when
0: they're not, it's very much like, hey, we can't pay you much, so that's why they need their yeah. friends to keep going back as well because yeah. they know they're not getting the paychecks that
1: – I think I read somewhere that um, with the first Bill Murray movie – so he was in Rushmore for – that was his first one. Mm. Um, when he got sent the script, he – they didn't think he'd like it. And so Bill Murray like read it and he obviously enjoyed it. And they could only agree to have him in the film because obviously he earns a lot of money from other films. He agreed to work on Scale, hmm. which apparently was only like $9,000 for that film. So he only got paid like 9 grand to work on Rushmore just because he really enjoyed the script and screenplay of that film. And that's, and that's been I mean that's worked in his favor because obviously he's in nearly every single other one of Wes Anderson's yeah. films. And that's
0: the cool thing about like actors that people forget is like they are just fans of art. They so when are, they yeah. notice stuff that they really like, and if they're Bill Murray and he's got money, which he yeah. Does, he's fine, yeah. sometimes they take chances and they do yeah. these little films just because they think.
1: They also like the, yeah. the art that the is experience. getting created from that film. Yeah. Yeah, because cool. he, he was also going through a bit of a rough patch in his um, like late 90s career at that point. Bill, Bill Murray's Murray. an
0: interesting guy. There's a story about um Gene Hackman and mm. Wes on Tenenbaums where they weren't getting along and it kind of sucked because it was Gene's what he believed was going to be one of his last films. So he wanted it to be like a relaxing ride. Like he still wanted to do the work, but he didn't want to be like stressed out and stuff because he was kind of old. And he and Wes kept clashing and it got real heated. And Bill Murray was the one that was like stepping in and being like, no, no, I'm on Wes's sort of essentially side and like sort of calming it down, which is interesting because Bill Murray has been known to be the Gene Hackman on sets in the past. So yeah. I've
1: heard stories about Bill Murray's experiences on sets and yeah.
0: Yeah. Look, I don't, at this point I'm not talking about Bill Murray as an like as a person. Yeah. I just like him as an actor in these films yeah, at the moment. His personal stuff aside for what we're talking, talking about, about currently. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, he nails his indie films. Like I said, Lost in Translation is probably one of my favorites as well. Yeah, yeah he's definitely. Indie. Fantastic in that. I think that kind of wraps up our little deep dive into Wes Anderson I films. I think
0: so. I'm really keen for Asteroid City. I can't wait to go yeah. and see that. If you
1: haven't had a chance, check out the trailer on YouTube. Uh, Asteroid City, it's coming out in June 16th. Yeah, so check it out and um, thank you for listening. We're still getting a lot of people listening every week, even in the third app. So, yeah, any feedback, important.
0: Yeah, and let us know what you want to see because we will definitely tailor it towards what you want to see and hear from us. Um, We like doing stuff that you guys want to hear. So let us know, please. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.